Good morning, and thank you for worshiping with us this morning at Bethany, where we're leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, and grow in His image. My name's Thomas. I'm the pastor for adult discipleship at Bethany, and I have the privilege of preaching this morning. We are in the, in the, at, in the fourth week, the fourth and final week of our series, Surviving and Thriving in the COVID-19 Pandemic. We've been looking at ways that through this difficult time that we're all walking through, that we can involve God in that process. Uh, in the previous sermons, Pastor Tom has used the image of a rope bridge, a rope bridge that's hanging precariously be- between two cliffs over a, a ravine. Being in this time that we're in, there's so much uncontrollable change, there's so much loss anxiety, things that we're struggling with that's all around us, it can feel like we're in the middle of a rickety bridge like this, unable to move backwards to get back to the solid ground we once had, and also not yet able to move forward and find that solid ground again. We're, we're just hanging in this in-between place, and it feels uncomfortable, and we don't like it. And what we've been uh, talking about and looking at is the ways that we can involve God because God is with us in this time. God doesn't abandon us to hang on this bridge forever. God is walking through this with us. Today, we're going to talk about how God is not only with us, but God is also at work doing things. So will you pray with me right now? Lord God, we need you today. We're very aware of our limitations and the ways that we are in need of you to come into our lives, God. Many of us are tired. We need you to come and give us some of your uh, renewing work this morning. We need you to come and give us some of your hope, something to hold on to. God, we need you to come in and do a new thing in our lives. God, we need you to come in and show us something in your word that we can hold on to, one of your promises, something about you. So I pray, God, would you speak to us right now through your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to tell you about a struggle I had in the beginning of this uh, time staying at home. We have a kitchen sink at my house that likes to get stopped up every once in a while. And so about once or twice a year, uh, it gets to a point where it's no longer manageable. The water won't go down, and we have to, like, take breaks when we're washing dishes. And, and it's in those times that I have to go get a plumbing snake uh, that we keep in the garage. And I go outside to the other side of the kitchen sink, uh, the other side of the kitchen window, and there's a, there's a, a cap that comes off. And you can put that piece of uh, bendable metal tubing down there and spin one side and you do that, and you send it down long enough, and it gets the blockage out. And, you know, thankfully, we've lived in our house seven years. It's pretty consistently every six months to a year that we have to go and clean it out. And, and I've been able to do that myself up to this point. Well, the second week of our time staying at home, after a full week of not eating out, not going to school or work, doing a lot more dishes than normal, uh, and cooking a lot more than normal, uh, I noticed one morning that our kitchen sink was beginning to stop up again. It was beginning to just drain slower. I made a mental note, yeah, I'm probably going to have to fix that in the near future. But that near future came the next day when it stopped draining altogether. It just stopped. 
And so uh, we got to the end of that day and had dishes piled up on every countertop in our kitchen that we could think of. And, uh, you know, we, we can't go anywhere. So we're needing to fix this and have some sanity uh, in our kitchen again or in our home again. After dinner, uh, I went outside with a flashlight and the drain snake, because it's dark at this point, uh, and started to get to work, putting the, the metal uh, bendable tubing down there, spinning it, trying to find the blockage and get it out. Uh, I did what I always do in that situation, and no matter how hard I tried, I could not uh, get the blockage to come loose. So I, I tried for two hours that night bending down, uh, trying to fix this, this kitchen sink, getting more and more frustrated and aggravated. I finally uh, gave up for the night, went to bed, got some sleep, and woke up the next morning with renewed energy, determination. I was going to fix this problem. So I had, had a cup of coffee, and then I went outside with the tools and went and started working at it again. Uh, and as I was working at it, uh, my family woke up, they ate breakfast, they went for a walk, uh, and at some point I realized I was spending way too many hours trying to do something, and I think that this might be the time when I was going to have to do the unthinkable. I, I was going to have to admit defeat. My home beat me, big blow to my ego, I couldn't fix it myself, and I had to call a plumber. So I called a plumber, found one that could be there that day because it was, it was an urgent need. We needed a cleaner, we needed to be able to use our kitchen sink. The, the plumber came, and what was really interesting, it took him an hour and a half to fix the drain problem, and he had to use all of his biggest equipment, including a 100-foot hose that he sent down the drain. He, he, he was able to clean it out all the way from our kitchen sink to the main clean-out where it goes to the street, but it took 100 feet of hose to fix the problem that I was trying to do myself. So I had a couple feelings about this, a couple thoughts that came to my mind. First, I was thankful it wasn't just my inability to fix my home that caused me to call the plumber. Uh, I, I, you know, my pride was a little hurt, but it didn't have to be totally and completely wounded. Um, that was a job that a plumber had to do. I wasn't going to be able to fix it no matter how hard I tried. The other thing that I began thinking about is I began to wonder, you know, if he's cleaned out all the way from my kitchen sink to where it gets into the main drain uh, close to the street, I wonder if he's maybe fixed the problem better than I ever had in the past. And, and I wonder, you know, maybe that struggle, that difficulty, th th that time was not fun for me. No one likes having to pay for someone, you know, an unexpected cost that you have to have to keep up your house. No one likes being inconvenienced by having all the dirty dishes everywhere. But I wonder if that time of difficulty and struggle allowed for a more long-term and full solution. Instead of me putting a Band-Aid on it every six months, if something actually got repaired for the long run. I wonder if there's something in that for us about the way that God is at work in our struggles, that God uh, can work through our struggles. And sometimes God can work in our struggles in a way that he wouldn't have worked else uh, other than that. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at Psalm 30. Uh, psalm 30 is a, a wonderful psalm. We've been, we've been working through Psalms of Lament during this series to look at the ways that the people of God in Scripture bring their real struggles to God, the ways that they approach God when they're in uh, times of suffering and trial. Uh, psalm 30 is going to show us another example of that. The thing about Psalm 30 that's going to be so awesome for us to look at uh, we're going to get to see the ways that God is at work in the struggle to do something that would not have been accomplished otherwise. 
We're going to pick it up in verse 6 where the psalmist begins uh, saying what his experience was like. And he says this, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. So the psalmist is looking back and he first explains that he was in a very good place. He was in a place where he had prosperity. He was in a place where he compares himself to a strong mountain. Uh, So you imagine he is safe and secure. He's so safe and secure and prosperous that he says, he makes this statement, I can never be moved. And in one sentence at the end of these verses, you hid your face, I was dismayed. All of that comes crashing down for the psalmist. His good place that he was at uh, ceases to exist, and he is dismayed. Now, I know uh, someone saying they're dismayed might not seem like a lot. Elsewhere in the psalm, uh, the psalmist explains to us what is the struggle he's really going through. Uh, In the beginning of the psalm, he explains that his enemies are uh, attacking him, and he's in danger of his enemies. He explains that he's in need of healing, so there's probably an illness of some sort. He's also explained that, uh, that death is a certainty for him at one point. He feels like death is upon him, and, and he is so afraid. And so he's more than just a little bit down. This psalmist uh, is explaining a situation where everything in his life changed for the worse, and he is utterly and completely desperate. He's got nothing left to to hope in. He doesn't know where to turn. And it's actually in this place that the psalmist turns to God and cries out. He says, to you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? It's really interesting to see how he approaches God. It actually reminds me of what we covered in the beginning of this series. Uh, We talked about paying attention, being aware of what's going on inside us, and being willing to bring that to God. And what we see here is this example of prayer the psalmist gives us. He doesn't come to God with a bunch of religious language. He doesn't come to God uh, with this nice, pious, God, if you will, please grant my request. He is coming to God with an argument. (laughs) He's coming to God with some feelings and, and some uh, desperation. And, and you know, I think it's just a good reminder. Uh, as children of God, our Father in heaven gives us this privilege to come to him, not with a nice, clean, neat, pretty prayer, but with our rawest and realest feelings. God wants us to come to him with those things. For the psalmist, it's in these raw and real prayers that lead him to actually ask for help. He says, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So he wrestles with God for a little while, and then he comes out and asks for help. And then we get to read about the ways that God helps him. He writes about the outcomes, which is really fascinating, and he uses this beautiful imagery to explain how God answered his prayer. He says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I love the imagery. He talks about God taking him from a place of mourning to a place of dancing. 
of a person that's clothed with sackcloth, that's a garment they would wear back in those days when they were mourning, and clothing them instead with gladness, something that you would never think of when you're in a place of mourning. He's taking them from a place of silence where there's nothing that the psalmist can think about that would make him want to praise or thank God for anything. He's so down in the dumps. And God takes him and picks him up and puts him in a place where there, is song, there are songs of praise that he's wanting to sing. One of the things I love about this psalm is he doesn't just uh, praise God for what God's done in his life, but he actually looks, looks deeper into God's character. In, a, in another part of the psalm earlier on, he's, he's thinking about this experience and he, he encourages the whole congregation to worship God because of who God is. He says, "'Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning.'" What I love about this is he's, he's looking at God's character and he's saying, God, you are a God that can come into the person's life who is filled with weeping and desperation and you can bring them to a time where there is joy. You are a God that comes into our most desperate situations and you make things new. You are a God that makes things new. We've been looking at, uh, at Job and Job's story through this sermon series because Job is someone who walked through some, some very deep suffering and trials in his life. Uh, Job is a model for us in how we can approach God during these times in many ways. Uh, it's interesting to look at the end of the story of Job. What we see is remarkably similar to the psalmist about how God blesses Job. The very last chapter we read this. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Right after that, we read, And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. We see this beautiful picture that God is a God that makes things new. And what the, what the psalmist and what the story of Job are not saying, they're not saying that God is a God that comes into our problems and brings us back to life again like before we had problems. God doesn't make things go back to how they used to be. God makes them go to a new place that's even better. And it's hard to imagine that Job, through his trial and suffering, as bad as that was, and I'm sure Job would never have chosen that for himself, Job is more blessed after the fact than he was before. And if you look at the psalmist, the psalmist is in the same boat. The psalmist before was prosperous and felt like a strong mountain. He was safe and secure. But it's only after that time of suffering and trial and struggle, God brings him out of that. And, and after that, the psalmist now has joy. The psalmist doesn't have joy until after he's gone through the struggle, though. And so we have to realize that God is a God that makes things new. The first uh, the first way that I'm going to suggest this morning that we make room for the new is that we do that by believing that God is able to make things new. And by new, I don't mean back to the old. I mean new even better than it was before. Now, isn't this the story of Christianity, right? Uh, out of the death of Christ, uh, God brings resurrection we don't have to wait till we die to experience that. That resurrection power starts to be at work in our lives right now in this life. And if you look at the whole story of Scripture, it's this epic story where things are good in the beginning, but two chapters in, three chapters in, things go bad, 
All of creation is plunged into a fallenness and brokenness. And the rest of the story of Scripture is God at work to redeem and renew his creation. He doesn't give up and start over, but he, he works hard pursuing his people, working to make things new. So we have to make room by believing that God is a God that makes things new. You know, I had a, a health scare a number of years ago. Um, I had uh, some symptoms come up that were alarming enough that being a young man in my younger 20s who never goes to the doctor, I went to the doctor. And that doctor sent me to another doctor. And that doctor couldn't figure out why I was experiencing these symptoms and was a little bit worried. So he sent me to another doctor. And that doctor wanted to do a bunch of tests on me. I got to a point where I started to worry, maybe this is like really serious. Like this could be, what, what if this is cancer or something that, that is really, really bad? So I began to pray. And my main prayer that I prayed was, God, give me peace. God, whatever this is, however bad it is, my mind was imagining all the worst. You know how we do that? It's like, God, just let me trust you. It was in that time I was waiting kind of between some doctor's appointments and, and uh, waiting for some test results. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to be part of a nightly prayer and worship gathering with some friends. And so uh, I went to that gathering and started pouring my heart out to God just by myself. There were probably a dozen of us in the room. As I started to pray into this, as I had done, God, just let me have peace, let me trust you. I sensed God calling me to tell everyone else around me in the room what was going on and to ask them to pray for me. And I, I thought about that for a second, and then I politely told God no. I said, God, I, I am not really willing to do that, actually. And, and God responded to my no, grace of all graces. Thank God. He, he didn't give up on me then. And he said, Thomas, if you're not going to ask others to pray for you, why don't you at least ask me to heal you? You haven't even asked me to heal you yet. That, that really shook me. And so uh, I realized I needed to do that. So I, I got down on my knees and I prayed. I said, God, I don't know what's going on, but you do. And I want you to heal me. And it's amazing. I'm not making this up. In that moment, I felt something change in my body. I can't really explain it. But I hadn't, starting that night, I did not have any of those same symptoms ever again. And even follow-up doctor's visits confirmed that there was nothing wrong, uh, nothing that the doctors could find that was wrong, even though there had been a very obvious daily symptoms for two months. Now, that, that amazed me. I was not really expecting that. I believed that God was someone that makes things new. Uh, I just didn't believe that it was going to happen in that way. Uh, and I was amazed. Uh, what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, God could have healed me at any point in that, in that time frame, or he could have, he could have not. Uh, but what's interesting is that he didn't choose to heal me until I cried out and asked him to. And, you know, we see the same thing in the psalm. Uh, when, when the psalmist is wrestling with God, and then he comes to a point of crying out, he says, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. He cries out to God, and it's when he cries out that God comes and makes his situation new. One of the ways, another way that we make room for the new is by crying out to God about our situation. Crying out to God about our situation. Now, I need to, to say a little bit about, uh, there's a caveat to this. Uh, God wants us to cry out to his situation because he is a God that makes things new. 
He is active and working in this life to do that for us, physically, spiritually, uh, relationally. However, we have to be open to God making things new, not in the way that we expect. Not every prayer that we ask God to do happens the way we would like. That, that can be a struggle for us so much. Um, I think sometimes that's enough of a struggle that we decide, well, I can't really understand how God works. I'm not even going to ask. You know, if, if, if we learn anything from the book of Psalms, as we're going through this series, we read all these Psalms about people who are struggling and bring those struggles to God. What I see, at least, is that when God's ways seem so mysterious that we don't know what to do with them, uh, that should drive us to, to run towards God and not away from God. That's not a reason to hedge our bet and not ask for God to intervene in our situation. That's a reason to go to God and, and bring up our concern, to say, God, why won't you do this in my life? Why won't you make this situation new? Why won't you give me relief? Because I am really struggling. And what I see in the Psalms is it's in that process of wrestling with God that sometimes God relents and answers our prayer and makes our life new in the way we're hoping for. And then there's other times that uh, we grow close to God in the process and God blesses us in an entirely different way Either way, what I see in Scripture and what my experience has been in my life is when we draw near to God like that, God comes and he makes something new in our lives. We can see this in the psalm, Psalm 30, and in the book of Job. So in the psalm, what's really interesting, those verses we started with are actually the psalmist looking back. He's writing this down, and he's critiquing himself. It's so fascinating to look at this. He says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, and prosperity, another word for that, it could be translated confidence, like an overconfidence. So this overconfident guy says, I'm never going to be moved. So he's convinced that he has made himself who he is. He's convinced that uh, by his hard work and determination, he is safe and secure and rich. He's got everything he needs. And it's only after that time of struggle and God intervening and making his life new that he can look back and say, God, it was only by your favor that I felt like a strong mountain. It was only by your favor that I had safety and security and I was prosperous. And that wasn't me, actually, it was you. Which is why when God hides his face, everything falls apart. And a part of that struggle for the psalmist was he goes through this time of struggle God, God makes his situation new, but God also comes in and renews his relationship with God in the way that he trusts and depends on God. We see the same thing in the book of Job. Uh, in the last prayer that Job prays, which Tom referred to last week as the turning point in the book, we have this one line that I just want to point out. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Job was acknowledged as a righteous man before he went through a time of suffering and trial. But he, he himself says that uh, prior to that, he had heard about God, and he was trying hard, he was, he was doing his best, but after his time of struggle, and what we should see is that it's actually through this time of struggle, he comes to a place of seeing God face to face. He comes to a place where not only his situation gets made new, but his relationship with God, his closeness with his creator, gets renewed through that struggle. I think we really 
don't like the idea that sometimes struggles aren't just minor inconveniences that we should avoid, but God can work out good purposes in them. It reminds me of my granny, my mom's mom. When uh, my mom was 12 years old, living in Brenham, Texas, my granny and my grandpa had a small business. It was a picture and frame shop that they had started. It was not going very well. Uh, they were struggling to, to pay their bills every month. They were struggling to figure out how they were going to afford life for their family. They still had my mom and one of my aunts living at home and another aunt in college, another living as a young adult. Uh, they were struggling. They, they, they were in a place of need. And then my grandpa had a heart attack, and after a couple months in the hospital, he died. Now, he was the one that made the frames. He was the one that uh, produced the, the things that they sold for their business that was struggling already. Uh, they were in a place of being fairly needy. Uh, and after my grandpa died, it put my granny in a place where she was totally and completely desperate. And it was in that desperation that my granny, who had a, a relationship with God at that point already, began to grow even more. She began to have to rely on God even more. I would love to tell you, I was talking to my mom this week to kind of get, make sure that story was accurate, and just the, the, the dozens of ways that God came through and provided and made things new for them after that. I'd love to sit and tell you all that. We don't have time for all of that this morning. But the thing that strikes me the most is the ways that in that struggle, which no one would have ever chosen to go through, God made my granny's relationship with him renewed and so deep and mature that, that became a blessing that she passed on to her daughters, that got passed on to her grandchildren and even her great-grandchildren. Uh, and, and all of us, many of us in our family, will look to Granny. Uh, she, she's been dead for a number of years now, but we've looked to her as the one who is like the spiritual example in our family. She, that, that time of struggle wasn't just a, an annoyance or an inconvenience. It wasn't just a tragedy that had no redemption. God was at work in the middle of it, doing a new thing. Now, I want to be really clear because I think this can be misunderstood. I'm not saying that God makes bad things happen so that something else good can come out of it. I actually don't think that's how God works. I know that for many of us, it would be comforting if we could find a reason for everything. And the truth is, we can't. When I read scripture and I look at how did God set up the world, he set up human beings to be the stewards over creation, to have a certain amount of free choice. And because in the beginning, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, all of creation that they were stewarding plunged into a fallenness and a brokenness. And so bad things happen in the world, not because God is pulling all the strings behind the curtain. Bad things happen because we live in a broken and fallen world. However, in the middle of those bad things, those trials, those struggles, the suffering, even the stuff that you're going through right now, God is at work making things new. And sometimes he chooses to act in a time of struggle and to grow us. Maybe it puts us in a place where we're more open for God to come in and work in our lives in a, in a way where we would have not have grown had we not gone through that struggle. And so the, the last way that we make room for God is we make room for the new by drawing near to God so that he can transform us. God is a God that makes things new, and I wonder for you, uh, where is God needing to make things new in your life today? 
I, I think by my count, at least, we are 65 days into this quarantine life, into this uh, completely different reality that none of us were expecting. It was 65 days ago that the Friday before spring break, uh, school got out, and in my house, spring break never ended. They just told us to homeschool instead. 65 days since we haven't been able to go and do our normal routine. 65 days since we've been separated from family members and loved ones. 65 days since we haven't been able to gather in person to worship. Uh, 65 days, and actually even longer than that, since our whole world has been plunged into chaos and anxiety. And I I wonder today, as we're walking through uh, how to survive and thrive in COVID-19, is there a place in your life where you need God to come in and make things new? Will you bring that to God today? Will you bring your honest struggles and cry out to God, say, God, I need you to come and make things new. And in this time of struggle, whatever that is for you, will you bring yourself to God? Will you invite God into your life so that God can use this time of struggle to even make your relationship with him new, to grow you closer and closer, deeper and more mature in your faith than you were before? Let us pray. God, we, we are desperate for you. Many of us are feeling like we're at the end of our rope. And so we come to you today, we just say, God, would you come and make things new in my life? God, would you come and make some change? Give me some relief. Take away some of these burdens that I'm carrying. I'm tired, God. Will you come today and open up our lives, that we could put our whole selves before you and allow these struggles to transform us, to allow you to come in and bless us in them. We need your renewing work, and we're thankful, God, because you're a God that makes all things new. Come and do that work in our lives today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.